can you imagine if you're listening to this show and you're not Estonian, 1.3 million people get their own country. What? What? They get borders and a president, used to have their own money. This is like two blocks in New York, but 1.3 million people, their own country, seat at the European Union, seat at the United Nations. You think, do you think 42nd to 45th Street in New York get a seat at the UN? No, but the country <laughs> of Estonia does. It's odd. Yeah. Aloha everyone, my name is Krista Rallaksmidetten and coming to you from San Diego, California and welcome to another episode with Abundance in Action. And today we have a very exciting uh, guest on the other side, Louise Cesaran, who is actually Australian but lives and calls Estonia home. Welcome. Hi Crystal, thanks for having me on. Very nice. Yeah. And I found Louise actually while I was doing research about my next podcast guest in Estonia, Dagmar Lamp. And I just, you know, put in uh, Dagmar's name and then uh, several podcasts with Louise and Dagmar came up. So I was like, okay, let's see what, uh, you know, Dagmar is talking with Louise. And then I was like, wow, this guy is amazing. Like out of this world, what is he doing in Estonia? <laughs> and I got so excited. And right as I got home after my bicycle trip, I actually emailed you right away. And I was completely prepared that probably you will say no, because you seem like you're a busy guy. But you said yes, like in like a matter of moments. And I was like, wow. Let's do it. It's a podcast. It's fun. We love yeah. talking. We love uh, speaking yeah. about it. And I felt that when I read your background and the information that you have and you're offering, I felt that your I could see a lot of similarities and also a lot of like we we I feel like we speak about similar things in the world, but we use very different language to communicate that. And I thought that would be an interesting conversation for us to have. Yeah. And um, when I looked into your background, I was even more um, intrigued because you actually have computer science background and um, you worked, um, you, you got the master's in computer science and you worked on this, like you studied uh, several years and then you worked two years and then realized uh, being in an office that, oh my God, all day wasn't really your thing uh, and embarked on a new path and actually became a theater producer in Sydney and after managing and um, uh, being together with so many talentful people there you understood wow managing those people here is pretty much the same as IT teams you know it's just a different uh, essence to it and your part led you to actually uh, Nordic countries you have been in Sweden and a little bit in Finland and then you uh, also jumped into Estonia and um, many years ago you actually were one of the founding members of Comedy Estonia and right now you also guys have taken it also to Latvia and Lithuania and um, you have taken it even like one step further you're also not only doing the shows but you're also doing the talent management and on top of everything else with what you do with that, um, when I put your name into Google, I got all these weird different, you know, videos and places you have been and voiceovers and, and stuff like, oh, my God, like, like, do you sleep? 
<laughs> uh, I sleep great. Uh, I'm really good because, I mean, certainly I, I, I like to have energy and I want to make sure that I have an active life. Uh, but also I have a great team around me. Uh, I have a real yeah. comedy Estonia is a great group of people, great artists. I have great uh, project manager and operation people and they uh, really work excellent. So for me, I'm sometimes I feel like I'm just sitting back uh, calling some shots and they're the ones really doing the hard work. So it's certainly not an individual effort. Yeah, of course. So um, let's just go a couple of steps back here. I, as an anthropologist, I'm really interested to know, because I don't know, is is your family name, is that like a typical Australian name? It sounds very exotic to me. Like, what's what's the story of your family line? Uh, actually, my, my family and I, my family is uh, ethnically Romanian, actually. Wow. And uh, both sides of my family are Romanian. My mother and father met in Australia. Uh, the, the both sides, more or less, let's say, came to Australia after World War II uh, with a lot of European immigration at that time. Uh, and then my, my parents uh, met in Australia because the community is still quite close there. So uh, Zezeran is a more of an anglicized version uh, of, of a name uh they they use there because when you come to australia you need to sort of keep it like you go into america you, you got to keep it anglicized a little bit so yeah i am technically a hundred percent romanian actually wow. but uh second generation australian and, and such is the way as as you will know in america when you come to australia uh you you know you become an aussie and you're a hundred percent and uh so it's it's not um, something that I connect with. It's not really something that I was ever sort of grown up too much with. I know about it. I've been to Romania a few times. We don't really know much family there, though. So I like it. I'm fine with it. But it's not like a massive part of my life, I would say. Yeah. And you don't speak Romanian? No, my father yeah. still does. Uh, I was there with him a few years ago. He can sort of make a conversation or two. But uh, no, I was not exposed to it at all when I was growing up. Uh, I think it might have been around. But again, it's you start to understand that when uh, you're moving after something like World War II, there's this great feeling back then of we need to start again. We need to fit in with this new place. And it's very, very common of people in my generation and even my parents who were, well, my mother was born there, that, you know, they're like, we want you to be Australian. We want you to fit in with the, these people. Mm -hmm. And then um, how did it happen that you ended up in Estonia? Like you have written in many places, like, you know, when you meet an Estonian first time, they're like, what happened to you? Like, how did you find this place? You know? So tell then, me, why do you come to Estonia? So, yeah. cold, so cold country, so little people. Why you come, Aussie man? <laughs> uh, yeah. In 2006, my friends and I decided, uh, two friends of mine, Dieter and Adam, we decided to backpack around Europe. And I'd never, uh, I'd never really traveled like internationally. It was never really kind of my thing. But I remember before we'd even touched down in Germany, I was like, I ain't going home. It just, this energy, this spark in me just kicked off. And I'm like, this is too good. I like this. And uh, we backpacked around for a year. We, we came to Estonia. We would just, we bought a car and we drove around and we're in Estonia and uh, we met people. Uh, we we stumbled across Tartu in the middle of student days back in 2006. And that was really one of the biggest connections that led us to, because everyone's having a party at student days in Tartu. It's a great time. So we, we got to meet a bunch of people and 
uh, I came back several times with the, the work that I was doing. I was doing a little IT work, still traveling around. I would sort of make it part of my path, meet my friends again. And so that there was always something about it. I can't, you know, you're like, why not Latvia? Why not Finland? Or why, mm-hmm. not, you know, nothing else? Uh, I can't put my finger on it what exactly it was. Um, it was, I don't know, maybe it was a nice mix. Like, I mean, certainly, and you will know, 2006, Estonia was still a little bit of a Wild West. Little bit, <laughs> uh, you know, you could see the, the Soviet Union still hanging around, a little bit, a little bit hanging around there. And, I, and maybe for me as a naive Australian boy, we'd only just left and I was like, oh, wow, this is, look at this place. But mm. there was still some sense of Nordicness, still some sense of bureaucracy and you could get stuff done and make it happen. And it's not some just crazy mess like Russia or something like that. So for some reason, it was just the perfect combination in the uh, the Estonian culture, this connection to the countryside, this weird small population how the hell are they running a country with 1.3 million people it doesn't make sense how do you do it and uh and things like this and it just piqued my interest and uh yeah i just kept coming back and back wow and then uh, did you at the time knew that skype was developed by estonians or <laughs> you can't meet an estonian without them telling you Uh, I think I did. I had no concept of what Estonia was before uh, I arrived here. So um, it's not, yeah, I I just, sorry. You were like an open canvas. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, well, I'm still here. So the canvas wasn't bad. Yeah, (laughs) really cool. And um, you have been uh, one of the persons uh, who has really, explored your you know abilities and yourself as as your uh, character what works what doesn't work and um, I want to really hear now a little more about that transition from IT world into that crazy creative people world and can you share with us um, shortly like how this came about um, in Sydney while you were getting connected to this theater group and um, that must have been quite a change and I know many people right now who are making those changes and also maybe you have some tips and tools how they can make that transition in such a way that it will be also balanced and you will create something new which will be sustainable for the future. It's great it's a good point and I will get to that because I'm quite passionate about that that subject as well. Uh, Yeah when I was growing up I wasn't I wouldn't say I was a creative kid and I bless my parents lovely people not really exposing to creativity and art. And this is not their style. It's fine. And I really went 25 years of my life before I stepped into a theater. And some friends of mine were involved in a small theater company. They say, I always want you to come on, come on. I was like, I'll come see you play. Okay. And I really loved it. And I hung around with these people more. And I was just like, these people were so different. I'd never met anything like these. I was an IT guy. I'd studied the computer science and that's what I did. And they were nuts. They were just, they were artistic and creative and bananas and and open. And uh, it was just a a vibrance, a vibrance, I guess, a dynamic energy to them that I'd never really experienced before. And I was quickly helping them out with more shows. I I started hanging around like, what can I do? Uh, Helping them with some sound, with some lights. You know, I could do some technical things. 
And then I, it was re really not too much longer later that I, I discovered that there was this job in the theater called producer. And I was like, what does a producer do? And then I, and I, I quickly worked out, well, they're the project manager of the theater. And I'm like, I can do project management. I did that with IT. I know how to run a budget and a checklist and stuff. And I wasn't even very good at it, but I quickly worked out that, I mean, that was the flip side of their creativity. Amazingly artistic, but can't organize themselves. Like can't organize ice in an Eskimo pit, right? Like, no, can't do nothing for themselves. And uh, I understood that I only needed to have, honestly, the most basic of project management skills to help them out and give them some structure. I didn't have to be a genius at this stuff. So that's where I fell into that role. I was able to uh, help them run shows, provide that structure that they needed. Uh, sometimes they're like, oh, I can't, I just can't perform tonight. And I'm like, you're going to shut up and get on the stage right now. And, and just sometimes you got learning when to be firm with them, when not. And they bounce that creativity back to me. They helped me. I was an actor. I was a performer. Now I was coming out of my shell and do, out of my comfort zone and, and, and doing much more than I'd ever thought I could and, and outputting this creativity in a way that I never imagined I could. And that's the, what I was able to contribute to this group. And uh, that's still what, uh, that's what I do still today with Comedy Estonia. I help these young Estonian comedians on their path. I know what it's like to be a, a performer and an artist so I can relate to them. They know that. And I can be like, you got to do this. And they'll be like, okay. Or sometimes I'm like, that's a crazy idea. Why do you want to do that? And they'll say, well, I really want to do it. I know it's not the smartest business or the the, the smartest thing necessarily, but this is what I really feel. And then I'm able to say like, okay, let's do that. That's why we're here. So I'm still doing that to this day. Um, but back to your point uh, about transitioning uh, over to these new lifestyles. Now, I, I said I did 25 you, you, years. Yeah, because you did that, right? You you yeah. stopped your IT work and you went over to all of all in, like artistic. Well, actually twice, because first of all, once I did, when I was working uh, for the theater group in Sydney, I just quit my job and uh, I was doing like some night part-time or weekend IT work on a laptop. I, I forget how the hell I did it, but somehow I paid the rent and that's all I needed. And that was cool. And I kind of did it on the side. And so... But I still, the, the point there was that I still leveraged my previous skills until I had enough to push into the, the, the new mediums that I wanted to do. And I did the same thing really 10 years ago when we found the Comedy Estonia here in, in Estonia. I was still doing some like IT training. I used to do IT training a lot, actually. I'm better at talking than I am at coding, actually. And, uh, uh, and so... I was doing some some work like that, make like making money, but not really happy. And and even any any new thing you do, and this can be creative, this can be artistic, this can be even a, if you're a new business or a startup, you don't make money straight away. You can't just jump in and be like, oh, I'm going to do this new thing, and somehow I'm going to pay the rent. And it's beautiful to think that you want to do that new thing, but you won't be able to do that creative or artistic or new thing. If you're stressed out about where am I going to get the rent? How am I going to get food tomorrow? How am I going to get my responsibilities? 
So even 10 years ago, when I founded Comedy Estonia, um, there wasn't instant money. We had to establish a whole market. Estonian people didn't know what stand-up comedy was. There wasn't shows for us to perform at. There wasn't events where people would pay us to come. So we had to build that up. And I was still on the side doing IT work, some training, some help, whatever. And I was able to, and it was a very conscious decision over time to bring down the IT work as the artistic work went up. And I had to, and I was very conscious to to do it like that so that I could still uh, live. And because you've still got to be able to live and you still want to give some. And I was also using that money to push it into Comedy Estonia as well. I'm like, I love this. I want to do it. But the final kind of element of that, I guess, is that there is at some stage where you still need to make the jump. So I've already kind of said to your your people that are listening, like, hey, don't just jump in the first thing. That's probably not a good idea because you're not going to get paid for this new thing that you love straight away. And no, it's not about the money, but you got to eat too. But there will come a point where you do have to say, okay, I'm not going to do that IT work anymore. And I, I, I brought down the IT work. I brought up the comedy. And at some stage, I had to say, okay, now's the time to make the leap. The comedy's going okay. I think if it's not there, but it's almost there. And I need to devote myself full time to this comedy now. If this is, you know, we've got it established. It seems like it's not there, but it could be there. Now is the time to get rid of the IT and take that leap of faith. But it's a very controlled and thought out leap of faith. And I would encourage people to consider that game plan uh, that there is still a moment because you will still need to any artistic career, any creative endeavor, you will still need to just jump in and have a leap of faith and, and just go for it at some stage. But be clever about it is what I'm saying. Yeah, I so agree. I um, myself, before uh, even registering my company, yeah, I actually uh, tested it out two years with different clients and uh, live events and so on. Like, um, two people need this kind of spiritual counseling, and how can I do it? What's the format? Uh, what's the package? How I can, you know, um, uh, share it? And as it was proving more and more that, okay, there is a need and I can build it up step by step. Then 2007, I actually registered my company and then it proved like, wow, that was the right thing to do and right timing too. So the ne- next two years, I um, I was so busy that at times I almost also had to like uh, cut down my sleeping hours <laughs> to keep it up. And one of the first things which I think um, many people who go over and do that jump is um, they talk about, you know, yeah, like do your own business and you can step out from nine to five, you know, and then you start to do your own business and you find like, wow, now I'm working from like seven till uh, 10 in the evening. (laughs) And like, what are they talking about? I'm a producer. I'm a marketer girl. I'm like everything in one person. Oh my God, what did I get myself into? (laughs) I think you have that 
Yeah, yeah, there is that. I mean, because when you, okay, you go and do your own thing, you're going to, yeah, it's more work actually. Now, I guess the theory is that you want to do that. You know, it's your passion. It's uh, your, you know, what what you want to do. So there is some realistic planning that you need to take and say, look, for a while, I'm going to work like a dog for a while. Like I'm a calm guy now after 10 years of Comedy Estonia. I've got a great team, great routines, great procedures, a great stable base, and our we have a well-oiled machine. After 10 years, I had stress for many years, not only getting it rolling, but for me to develop those skills to be able to help those people around me do and, and bring them up as well. Kind of as a, so- I think there's an, another point in the middle of this is that when people choose, they say, oh, I love, I don't know, I love yoga, so I'm going to be a yoga. I love painting, so I'm going to be a painter. I love whatever my passion is, I'd like to turn that into work. Now, absolutely, I'm not saying no, you shouldn't do that, but I think people also need to remember that that will be your work. It is not your hobby that you do on the weekend. Oh, I love it. Oh, we're doing it on a Saturday. It's delightful. No, you, it's your job. And it's your business. Your business. And yeah. then it's going to turn into a job. And it, you, that will be like your other job as well. If you're a trained accountant and you only had to do accounting like two and a half days a week, you'd probably be fine with it. You'd be like, yeah, this is great. I, I kind of get a sereneness out of doing the numbers and it's delightful. No, it's a, it, was, it was hard because it was a job. Anything is going to become hard. And some idea that you will have to push through, and to me, the, the analogy is going to the gym or exercising. Yeah, some days I love exercising. I just want to be outside. Some days I don't want to exercise, but... I got to do it anyway. It's going to be the same way with this. And it may, uh, it, people may need to think about that. For example, Chris, the one other little tidbit about myself that I never have uh, tell, told you is that I love old uh, retro video games. I'm a huge nerd for old Nintendos, old Sega, old video. I love it, right? And I have a huge collection. Like, embarrassingly big collection. I have a special storage room for it. It's more than a 40-year-old man should have, right? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I sometimes wonder, should I sell that? Should I, could I make a little business out of it? I've been to Japan several times. I buy a bunch of stuff there. What if I sold it? And I have been quite resolute with myself that I do not want to sell any of this crap that I have because that will turn it into a business. And I've already learned with comedy that, you know, like it's hard when you turn your passion into the business. There was like two years where I hated comedy, like two solid years that only ended really about a year ago that I was like, I didn't know what I was doing. I felt trapped in this. I didn't love comedy anymore because I just turned it into the routine. And there are some really great things that happened and made me rediscover my love. And I'm glad that I kind of got locked in and I saw it through. But you're not going to like it for a while, and you need to also be prepared for that reality. Now, it's not like the worst; it's not the hardest thing ever, but you do need to see that coming. 
Yeah. And one other thing which I would like to ask how you uh, tackle that is, um, which I have really struggled over the years. Now I'm like stepping into, um, yeah, further with those things. Like the moment when you realize like, okay, I can't run and continue doing everything. I need help. I need a team. I need to start to delegate. Like what, what are your tips and first like steps, what people could do? Because it's so hard. Like once you have got like an overview, you're like uh, figured out your procedures yourself, everything is like smooth. Of course, you are like uh, probably um, having a time issue, but at least, you know, things get done you know and then you start to like think okay I probably need help um so let's start this process so maybe you find a first person and then things don't work out and you end up like doing extra work and it's such a mess and you're like oh I just like give it up like I just keep going like I am and I've been in this circle vicious circle so many times and it's like never ending like what's your tip and tool for people when they get into that moment and I guess for you then you you start not liking what you do anymore because it's this yeah. huge pressure and you have to do it and you don't have time to do like you're you're doing the business or whatever admin work stuff and you're not doing the you bit the the special source that has made you you that's what you need to be doing not I don't know filling out spreadsheets and doing marketing and stuff like this right yeah um i think it's challenging for any um, and really you can think about any freelancer any person whether that's whether you're doing a graphic design job or whether you're making earrings or whether you're doing or you're painting uh murals for people whatever that might be creative or non-creative uh, let, let let's Take for example, let's say someone, let's for the sake of the example, let's take an artistic person. So let's take someone who wants to do an art. I want to paint, I want to write, I want to sing, I want to do whatever I want to do, but I need to somehow build a team around this. The problem is that, and for me, it's been extremely difficult to live in two worlds that I need to both be the leader of the team. Uh, I'm a CEO of a startup. I have four employees and a greater number of comedians that I work with, but I still need to be an artist and still need to write jokes and still need to create and, and make podcasts and, and do the, the fun things that we all kind of love doing and wish we could do. I, there's two ways to go about it. Either you yourself need to embrace and understand that, that you are going to, you're going to be a, a CEO. You're going to be a, a business leader. Now, if you don't want to do that, maybe you're going to have to get a partner who can handle that for you. And you're the head artist and you can just look after that thing. But that's a, it's a rare thing in this world, particularly if you're not like that advanced at it. If you're just starting off, if you, it's hard to say like, oh, I'll just do the, 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 the painting and you do the business. Well, you're not very good at painting yet. That's, that's fine. That's okay. You're new at it. Don't worry about it. You're going to get better but it's not quite, you're not quite there yet. Um, for me, it was a tough road. I, I guess I, 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 because I had that business background, I was always able to fall back on it. And, but even that, it's not like I was good at hiring people to, at the start. And it's not like I was good at delegation. It's not like I was good at leadership. And not only do you not necessarily have the leadership skills, so let's say leadership of people, and also just general business administration skills. It's still a business with accounts and 
no matter what you do, you still got to make an invoice and talk to an accountant and stuff at some level. So both of those skills I didn't have. And I had to, you know, I made missteps along the way. And, uh, and also combined with that, at first, you're unsure. And that adds extra stress because you're embarking on your new endeavor that you're going to do. And you don't know whether it's going to work. That's the life. That's how any business or any endeavor goes. So not only are you not real good at managing somebody else or managing your admin, you don't even know if this whole thing is going to work to begin with. And that's a huge stress as well. And I was very stressed. I was definitely much shorter. And I have to say, probably a bit easier to get upset uh, in the beginning. I was very protectionist and very insecure feeling that this thing could go away at any moment and the business could die for some reason and we'd lose the money, I don't know, and, and the whole thing would collapse and it'd all be over. And that bred this insecurity in my mind. Um, so how did I get over all of those things? I don't know, just sheer force through the middle. Education of myself. Uh, in the last years, uh, I have really grown into studying leadership and understanding how to guide and, and lead the people around you. And, and leadership might almost sounds like a military term or something where the leader, he tells us what to do. Leadership means you know how to help the people around you the best. It doesn't mean it's not a study of bossing people around and telling them what to do. It's a study of how to help people be the best they can and so they can do the job and work as part of the team. And this is an actual thing you can study and you can learn how to do this. And there are techniques in there. And, and one technique you want is a, a little technique that I call, and I've heard called, sorry, I'm not, I didn't name it this. You want something called decentralized command in your team. And what that means is, and that is the opposite of micromanagement, which is, I think, like what you said, when things aren't going well, you're like, oh, screw it. I'll do it, right? Oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, I can do it easier, right? And we all kind of instinctively understand that that's probably not a good thing, but we do it because it's our company. We're very close to us. Uh, we, and we become very easily fall into that trap of micromanagers. But I believe the true path through this is to actually mentor and empower those next to you, trust in them to make the correct decisions, educate them in how things are done, and then trust them to do things the best they can. And you are giving that trust, delegation is maybe a businessy word for that. You're giving that faith in them and you're letting them do their job so you can do your job. And it's a real, look, it's a short sentence. It's a profound skill. It's simple, but not easy. And that's what I found has been one of the keys in our group that I've got to stop doing it myself. I need to make time to help them, give them my experience. Uh, that's taken me a long time as well. I'm not good at just sitting down, especially because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm me, I'm working, working, working fast, 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 fast. If I have to explain the basics, that was tough for me to explain the basics. But now I can do that much better. And then I can say, I trust you to go and do this. And mm -hmm. if something's up, come talk to me about it. I'll help you. But 
you go and do it. And, and when you do that, people work better because they understand that you've given them the trust, you've given them the responsibility, and people around you will do well when you give them responsibility. Cool. So that was, I mean, I, yeah, this is hours so worth of cool. lecture. I'm sorry. So Thank you. And one thing what really stood out for me is as a leader, you really need to dip into that patience and also patience about yourself and also patient about the other person. Like when they start to help you, like, okay, they are not you. You have to help them in the beginning to get the figure out like what what is it you want like where where is this going and if you have that patience and also understanding that we, we are all human so we do mistakes in this process it, it can't just happen like overnight this person reads your mind and does everything as you do because yeah. they are their own personality they have their own background and habits and so on so you have to like uh, slowly almost like, you know, not in a bad way, like, but like training a dog, you have to like train them. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I know what you mean, but yeah. Okay. I get <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, and it, it, again, this is simple, but it's not easy to do. Uh, to some of the tricks that, I, or tips or tricks that, that I've been doing to that is try to take a breath before I react to something, breathe in, maybe even literally take a step back, you know, to try to take yourself out of the emotions of the moment and breathe in. Do I need to yell straight away? Probably not. Okay. Do I need to give my negative opinion straight away? Probably not. Step back. I don't know. Put down, take a drink of water, take a breath, and then consider the situation. Uh, And that already that is a huge moment to think how do they do this how did they get here what was their thinking process in this and how can i help them think differently or 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 how can i maybe maybe they did it a good way maybe they did it a good way but i'm in my brain and i'm like no 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 no. we do it my way buster and then i have to take a step and go oh yeah that was uh that was all right i i i another way that i and that i can help people do that is I try to tell them the intent of what I want them to do, not the specific steps. So I try to tell them the goal that I want them to achieve, either today or a week or whatever longer-term goals. I need you to go do this. But I may not tell you all the steps. That's fine. You can work out the steps in the middle. And indeed, they will grow as people when they have to figure out the steps themselves. Now, you're not just throwing them to the wolves. Sure, you're going to work with them, right? But you're not saying do this and this and this and this and then here's the outcome. No, you're trying to give them the broad overview of what they need to do so then they can go and do it. And then later you can go like, well, did you, did you do it? Oh, you did it. Uh, you didn't do it how I said you were going to do it. Thought you would do it, but you did it. Uh, okay. Yeah, so you activate their initiative and their own creativity you don't just like bombard them like this is the only way to do it. So, so that's a very creative way to. Yeah, yeah, I, I think. And because people, I have found that the best way to get or to grow somebody is to give them responsibility. That if you, do you think, 
ask yourself, do you think they're a reasonable individual? Do you think they're a reasonable person, you know, with half a brain and a good person and they're not going to, I don't know, do you bad or they don't mean wrong or something? Well, if not, then give them responsibility and I bet you they're going to rise to that challenge. So I'm always looking for how to give young comedians and my workers who's working with me, how can I give them responsibility? How can I say, here's your chance, buddy, you know, don't fuck it up. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, no, but you know, how, how can I give them that step up? I'm, I'm constantly looking for that. Yeah. So now you have another level uh, to um, the whole business thing in Estonia too and with your team. You uh, actually don't speak Estonian. So all of your people, I mean, they obviously speak English, but, you know, uh, you can't really understand what your comedians are, like what their stories are about, unless they tell you like, okay, this story is about this. So has this been like an extra challenge or uh, actually a special like uh, strength because now you have that distance, which you wouldn't have if you would speak like fluent Estonian? I think it's more the latter that you said that we've been able to turn that into a positive uh, rather than it being a negative. Um, I mean, at a very simplistic level, to use your example, no, I can't understand all of their comedy. Uh, but I can hear the crowd laughing, you know? I can understand when a guy's funny or a comedian, a guy or a girl is funny or not. Um, also, comedy is much more, it, it is a fairly deep art form. It's not just I say a word and then laughter comes. There's rhythm, there's pacing, there's tone, there's so body language that goes with, with any communication that any human being does. And I can... Even if I don't understand the words, I can almost hear a reasonable comedian's rhythm. I can hear the uh, 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 uh. I can hear their rhythm and the way they're building. I'm like, it's going to be a punchline right now. And boom, comes the laughter. So I've learned to view everything else about the artist. And that may actually have helped me view an artist more holistically and not just as a sum of the words or the topics that come out of their mouth, um, it does allow me to be detached to them. And I think that is important. Uh, I said before, detachment can often be very important when dealing with people. I cannot hate their comedy. I can't hate their joke. I take my personal preference out of guiding and mentoring this artist. Now, I can still work out a lot about them, but you know what I mean? I can't hear that joke and go, that's terrible. It allows me a level of detachment. Does the audience like it? Or is there a particular audience or demographic or group of people that do like it? Cool. Um, but the way that we've truly used this to our advantage is that the team knows what I need to know and they do their thing. So we've got this decentralized work environment where they have their responsibilities, they can go and make it happen. And my team is also excellent at filling me in about what I need to know. They know what I need to know and they tell me what I need to know and I can compute it and say, hey, is that reasonable or so forth. Um, so in, in that way, it's helped me develop 
that detached leadership style because I just had to be. I had no other choice. There's that. And what it also, the kind of the, the third factor that it's helped is that the one of the reasons that I believe Comedy Estonia is doing really well is that the, the comedians are great. We have this really great culture between our comedians. They want to help one another. They help each other. They guide each other. They are mentoring one another. They all want the Estonian stand-up comedy scene to be great. And if you're in our group, if you're trying, if you're giving it a go, if you're being reasonable and you're not being a dick and you're being nice, you will be invited in and they will talk with you and you can hang out and talk with some of the best stand-up comedians in the country and they'll give you some tips and they want, genuinely want to help you. So in that way, the group helps themselves. They educate each other in that way as well. Now, I do my own comedy so they can see me as the leader and I can still get some respect and clout in that way that I'm not this business guy in the office totally. But uh, And that's another example of giving responsibility. I am not the only mentor of the group. They have this great or we've all produced this great culture so i don't need to be in the middle of all that stuff they are perfectly capable of making it happen and i love it that's like i listen to this and i'm like are you talking about the estonians because <laughs> like estonians working with each other supporting each other they usually like try to eat each other up you know the <laughs> saying they say like the best food when an estonian is another estonian so do you think that the fact that they are cooperating with each other is because you are in the game and you bring that different culture or is that like that you just like have found this great amazing special uh, extraordinary Estonians <laughs> who you kind of uh, gather into your comedy club what do you think what's the uh, well, kind of miracle factor most of our comedians, I mean, our top comedians are all like 25, 26, 27. Most of them are even younger. So they're young people, right? So they're coming from a new generation that aren't necessarily, I mean, they're Estonian, sure, but every generation gets a little bit better. So that's certainly a factor. Um, certainly myself being a foreigner in this role is one of the factors, but really, I think I bring, I really bring it down to it. And maybe some of your listeners, if they're Estonian, they know some of these names I'm about to say. Myself, Sandra Igis, uh, who's really the first stand-up comedian, one of the, the, and we sort of got together and we said, we can make this happen. And then even uh, Ari Mati Mustanen, who's currently one of the most famous comedians in the country, most popular, particularly with young people. They, they just had a good attitude already. They were like, we so badly want stand-up comedy in this country. We want to help one another do it. And I think it was the, the lightning strike of Sander and I coming together and then later Ari coming in and building this team. There's many others as well. I'm not giving credit to the many other people that were there in the middle. But that basis of Sander and I, he's an amazing Estonian artist. He wants a stand-up comedy scene in Estonia and he... Um, not only that, because artistically and to break down into culture a little bit, stand up, you, you, you start like, uh, how to say like changing words. It's like poetry. It's like writing songs. You have to take the words and manipulate them and 
squeeze them and bend them and, and put them around in new ways. And I think Sandra Igis was really the first one to take the Estonian language and adapt it to stand-up comedy, to, 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 to make those, those rhythms and that way. Of, uh, he really showed everyone how you can do the art form of stand-up comedy in this weird Estonian language with the grammar rules and the words and the word endings and the and all of this. He was that guy. And so he was an amazing artist. He's really uh, almost like a once-in-a-generation artist, and he was one of the first ones that came along. And then, yeah, okay, myself, I've got an outsider's perspective. I've got an international perspective. I've got that show promotion perspective. And it was really that combination of the two of us coming together uh, and that, you know, sometimes people connect more with Sanders. Sometimes they connect more with me. We're very close the way we run it. And I want to say that it's our genius. I really think 50% of life is luck. I believe you make your own luck. Absolutely. But still there are some things in life. Don't congratulate yourself and don't put yourself down too much either. So much of it is just what happens. It's whether you take advantage of it. And I met this guy, Sander, and we were able to take advantage of, we're two people that wouldn't know each other. We wouldn't have really ever have crossed paths before, just in, our, in the world or even who we are in the circles we move in. But we are good friends. We have this great working relationship. And from that, this team has been able to grow out around us. And when we set the culture, people followed. So you're like, why aren't Estonians all knifing each other and going bananas? And, you know, we set this this culture and we gave them respect. They give us respect and we built it from that. And uh, I take my job very seriously that I'm here to be a role model for them. If I act like a dick, they're all going to be dicks. And I've noticed it as well. Like I've noticed if I get negative, it starts rubbing off. And even if because a funny thing can happen with comedians. We're, we're comedians. We want a joke. We're joking around, being silly. We're making fun of one another, uh, you know, poking each other, saying stuff. Now, where's the line between, oh, I'm poking you and making fun? And where's that? And where's teasing and bullying? Now, that can, that can be a fine line. Uh, now, there was even one instance, and this was maybe even four or five years ago, where there was sort of a comedian that came in and we were just joking around doing a thing. And we understood after a while, wait, 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 wait. We're almost like bullying this guy. Like just with the teasing and the joking through the regular banter that comedians have. Like, whoa, this is not. And Sandra and I had a talk like, this is not how we want it to be. And Sandra and I in that moment decided, okay, we're not going to poke fun at that guy anymore. We're going to just back off. And we noticed that when we didn't lead it and we were, you know, sometimes even like, yo, man, just quit it. Uh, it, it rubbed off on everybody else. So setting a strong example. And, and, and the flip side of that is that person in, in the instance, and when I say bullying, it sounds terrible, right? It, it wasn't, actually it wasn't terrible. Um, but what's happened now is that individual has now become a far better comedian they're a good comedian now. They're funny. That means they can defend themselves. 
So when they're funny, they can now defend themselves. They can get in the game. We can all joke around again. We can poke at each other. And that's not bullying when it's all equal because we're all uh, respected equal people in that group. So that was a huge learning lesson for Sandra and I and giving that leadership to the group that we don't want this negativity. We see when we're negative, everyone else becomes negative and we don't want that. Yeah. That's uh, such an amazing story and that you um, take it into pieces and many people who see the shows, they don't know like, you know, those back uh, backstage stories. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, just to ask, um, are there some words or sentences you can say in Estonian? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, I do understand a little bit. I'm not very good at, at speaking. Uh, I understand much about my domain of entertainment and, and shows and showbiz and my day-to-day work. I understand most of kind of what's happening around me. But if I see a new stand-up set, I, I don't sort of get it out of the blue. Um, if I see it in English, then I know it in Estonian, for example. So uh, I've not really gone to lessons or anything like that. It would be my regret about living here. Uh, the only thing that I hold on to is it's like, well, I put all my time into growing comedy Estonia and this stand-up comedy culture. I humbly submit that was my gift or my work, uh, even though I, I, I don't speak Estonian. So uh, it's, I don't know. I'm not sure when I'm going to get to that. I, I don't know. Yeah. Can you share some words you can in Estonian? Uh, what, what do you want me to say? I don't know. Yeah. Say something, you know, in Estonian. You know, me on Louis, my all in, uh, Australian, Australias, Australian. Wait. Yeah. Australian. Australian. Yes. Australian. Uh, now I'm just sounding like a two-year-old when I, (laughs) (laughs) it's so exotic. You know, when, um, I'm married to a Californian man and every time I am uh, in a bad mood, I just say some really difficult Estonian words and then he tries to repeat it and I just crack up because it's just so funny. And this is, it's it's just like really um, lightens me up. And then of course, I say some words completely wrong, like the way the um, word is like the pronunciation is completely like with my Estonian accent and he actually sometimes he he doesn't correct me because he finds it exotic you know so so this way we we also have fun with the language um, it is exotic i mean my my friends say to me like oh lewis can you correct my english i want to learn and i'm like i mean sure maybe sometimes but like we're having a conversation i'm not a dick i'm not gonna stop you and you're like no 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 you said that word wrong like only in I don't tend to, you know, all, all the time, unless they really like, come on, Lewis, help me out. And I think one of the reasons why Estonians do that, because there's only whatever, one million speakers of Estonian in the yeah. world, very, which is nuts. I mean, maybe now you've got your international people who are going to be listening to this. Can you, can you imagine, if you're listening to this show and you're not Estonian, 1.3 million people get their own country. What? What? They get borders and a president used to have their own money. This is like two blocks in New York, but 1.3 million people, their own country, seat at the European Union, seat at the United Nations. You think, do you think 42nd to 45th Street in New York get a seat at the UN? No, but the country <laughs> of Estonia does. It's yeah. odd. Yeah, and <laughs> our language, 
Yeah, and our language actually is, um, it has a separate, like, you know, it's not even part of the Indo-European language tree. We are like a separate, like, own entity with our language too. It's like bizarre, like really crazy so much. I actually just got the thought, like, I don't know if you have thought of it, but maybe you guys should talk to Haige Gassa in Estonia so that they could prescribe, you know, comedy Estonia to their clients. I mean, I mean... I mean, everyone in Estonia needs more laughter, right? Look, we'll be happy. People just come buy a ticket for the show. That's yeah. come buy a ticket. It's only like 10, 15 euros. It's not very expensive. Yeah. And uh, that is the, the easy way to get the what the doctor ordered. Yeah. So how can people find out more about you and Comedy Estonia? Sure. If you're in Estonia, you probably know what's going on anyway. You know how to find Comedy Estonia online. Uh, you can find me zezeran.com. Just do a Google Lewis Estonia. You'll see me and, and the different things that we do. I'm not. I'm not too shy. I'm not too hard to find. Yeah. And what's your last message to our viewers and listeners? My last message to you guys. Ah, just a. Um, take a moment to consider the other person's point of view. You know, in the world today, everyone's yelling at each other. Everyone's like, nah, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right, da-da-da. How ask yourself every day, how can I take that step back and detach from this moment and think about what they said? And maybe there's maybe they're wrong, but maybe there's something right in what they said. Maybe they're not as annoying as you thought. I think that in today's and particularly online with the social medias and all of this, it's amplifying everything. How can you detach and calm down and consider what the other person says a little bit more. Yeah, that's such a good point. Thank you so much, Luis. And uh, I wish you all the best with all of the programs and projects. And I can't wait to see you and meet you in person and introduce my beautiful king and uh, come to your shows. That'd be lovely. Anytime. <laughs> Thank you for the podcast, yeah. Crystal. Yeah. So, and all the viewers and listeners, we had enough material for two episodes. So this will be very exciting and please listen and uh, also comment, share and leave the beautiful review if this really touched and inspired you. Until the next time, um, be amazing and be aloha. Thank you.